What you're about to hear, some people may find disturbing, which is exactly why we need to talk about it. My name is Jonathan Brook, and this is Eyes Only. There's a story breaking in the news today that caught my attention. U.S. diplomats, both in Cuba and China, are reporting symptoms of nausea, migraines, and eye pain. People have described feeling like their head is splitting open. Upon returning to the United States, their MRIs show that they have had traumatic brain injury, yet they never suffered any concussions or any damage that would cause it. There is a term for it called immaculate concussion. The strange thing is that they believe they're being targeted by some sort of sonic or microwave weapon. It is a mysterious type of attack that has left people with brain damage and debilitating symptoms, some of them even being children. I had a different episode I was working on, yet I felt the need to do an episode on this situation because this isn't the first time these symptoms have appeared. U.S. diplomats have been targeted in this way before, and the stories are eerily similar in nature. In the 1960s, U.S. diplomats stationed at the embassy in Moscow, Russia, believed they were being attacked by some sort of mind control weapon. People working there began exhibiting all sorts of symptoms. Cognitive decline, incessant ringing in their ears, migraines, sleeplessness, and memory loss that would be followed by elevations in blood pressure and a whole other list of cardiovascular problems. People described it as a brain fog that they couldn't shake. Their concerns were dismissed as imaginary and psychological in origin. The reality, though, is that they were being targeted. They were the victims in an espionage war, and the U.S. government knew what was happening to them. In 1962, American military engineers were conducting a security sweep of the embassy. It was a routine operation. They were searching for listening devices. While doing their investigation, they discovered an unusual electromagnetic signal. They initially thought it was a new form of eavesdropping that the Soviets were using. Upon further inspection, they figured out that the Russians were transmitting a series of widely fluctuating and irregularly patterned microwave beams. They were being focused on the west side of the building, with the floors between the third and eighth story receiving the most intense of the signal. Specifically, the central wing where the ambassador and top intelligence officials' offices were located. The CIA had reason to believe that the Soviets were developing an electromagnetic weapon designed to adversely affect the behavior of embassy personnel. A name was given to the signal. It would be called the Moscow signal. If you have listened to my first episode on this podcast, you might remember a Nazi-run laboratory called the Ananerbi Institute. Records taken from this lab detailed a microwave-type weapon that the Nazis had been developing. The U.S. was concerned that the Soviets had taken these plans and actually succeeded in making one. They needed to reverse-engineer it and figure out what they were dealing with. A plan was put into action to figure out how to duplicate the effects of the signal. It would go under the codename Project Pandora. Declassified documents pertaining to this research shed a lot of light on what that process looked like. 
Scientists with the John Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory began working at a newly constructed facility designed specifically for the creation of the U.S.'s own microwave weapon. They began irradiating primates with microbeams of a similar density to that of the Moscow signal. The 20th century was a bad time to be a primate. They would get used in a lot of tests like this, and I always find it difficult to read about. After a few months, the results began to become apparent. The effects of this signal were harmful. It adversely affected the animal's organs of the primates it was used on. The project leader, a man by the name of Richard Cesaro, clearly states in a report that these waves are very capable of penetrating brain tissue, as well as the nervous system. He even goes on to state that this signal can lead to early-onset Alzheimer's disease. Monkeys irradiated by the signal performed very poorly doing normal tasks as opposed to those who were not exposed at all. Right about now is probably when you are starting to realize why I am so concerned about the news reports I'm hearing today. I am terrified that this is happening again. I'm not worried about mind control. I'm worried about the dangers to their health that our diplomats and civil servants are facing. It doesn't appear that this technology ever produced the ability to manipulate a person's mind and actions to do the will of the person using the weapon. It more so proved someone ineffective at doing their job, and it was far more effective at slowly killing them. Now this is where the story takes a dark turn. The embassy staff were not notified of the signal. They were never told of the risks or given informed consent to be part of what would become a large human experiment. The government now knew what they were dealing with, and they made no attempts to stop it. They had early on traced the signal back to its origins. It was coming out of an apartment building 100 meters away from the embassy. The ability to shield the building from the signal was possible. A sort of Faraday cage made of copper around the areas that the signal was coming in from would have protected the people working there. A plan was drawn on how to do that, yet it wasn't immediately put in place. Things were allowed to continue as they had been, for no real reason other than to see what would happen to the people who were being exposed. The State Department set up a classified cytogenic testing program that would be codenamed the Moscow Viral Study. Its purpose was to secretly conduct genetic testing on embassy personnel. Embassy staff were told that they were being tested for a simple viral infection going around Moscow. The truth was they were guinea pigs in a larger quest to maintain the country's lead in its arms race. The State Department doctor put in charge of the testing was a man by the name of Cecil Jacobson. Now I have to say something about this guy. This messed up human test is not the only terrible thing he has ever done. He would later in life become a fertility doctor and get caught artificially inseminating women with his own sperm. He served five years in prison for the whole thing. There are 46 accusations of this that, he, that have been made against him. There's actually a movie that has been made about him titled Seeds of Deception. It was released in 1994. Unlike the terrible things he did as a civilian during private practice, his work for the government was shielded by layers of classified firewalls and deception. 
For years, he oversaw the collection of blood samples from embassy staffers. The samples were being analyzed for chromosomal damage, as well as other indicators of the effects that the signal was having. All the while, American civil servants in devotion to the ideals of this country grew sicker and sicker. The doctor that they trusted to keep them safe from an unknown virus was slowly watching them decline through the lens of a microscope. After a few years, civilian leadership within the U.S. government caught wind of Project Pandora and the testing of the embassy staffers. I don't know who exactly made the call, but we do know that they were horrified by it and quickly ended the Moscow virus test. The results were in, though, on what these people were being exposed to. Years of samples have been collected and analyzed. They showed damage that would be classified as microwave syndrome. I almost used the word patient to describe these people, but that would have implied informed consent. The victims exhibited multiple abnormalities of blood composition and chromosome counts. They were tested for genetic damage. The results of these tests have been labeled missing, most likely destroyed. What we do know comes from a statement that one of the physicians who worked on the project made to the Associated Press. He claimed that they discovered a lot of chromosome breaks in the samples collected. This level of genetic disturbance leads to increased risks of anemia and cancer. This checks out with what we know about those who were exposed. A particular man by the name of Walter J. Stossel worked as minister counsel at the embassy from 1963 to 1965. He was exposed to high levels of microwaves and would have been part of the Moscow virus test. He would end up being transferred out in 1965, only to return to Moscow less than 10 years later in 1974, to become the U.S. ambassador to Russia. The Moscow signal was still active when he returned. I don't know how Stossel figured out that the embassy was being irradiated. He did, though, and it led to a public dispute. An article in the New York Times from 1976 details the fallout. Stossel would end up being reassigned to an ambassadorship in West Germany. It would appear that he was lucky to get out of Moscow. That may be true, but the effects of what he was exposed to followed him. He was diagnosed with a rare blood disorder. He would become anemic and would hemorrhage from his eyes. He would die of leukemia at the young age of 66 years old, leaving behind one of the most distinguished civil service careers of his era. He would become the third U.S. ambassador to Russia to die of cancer, who served during the period that the Moscow signal was active. The connection? Plausibly deniable. Yet the facade was slowly chipping away. Before Stossel's death, his actions had opened a box that the U.S. government wouldn't be able to close again. The work done during Project Pandora would be exposed by a journalist by the name of Jack Anderson. People began to talk, and reporters began to listen. The victims who had worked at the embassy would find out what they were exposed to, not from the State Department, but from reading the newspaper just as you and I would. A slew of lawsuits began against the federal government. The State Department would end up issuing a 20% hardship allowance to all who were exposed for working at an unhealthy post. 
The Faraday cage that was floated in the early 60s as a solution to protecting staffers was finally installed in the late 70s. Too late to make a difference for the people who had been affected. The Russians never admitted to using a microwave device. Their own scientists for decades had been publishing research about how frequencies such as the Moscow signal were dangerous. The signal eventually stopped. It would return a few times in the 80s, but for the most part it stopped being used. Perhaps the Soviets figured out the U.S. had finally shielded the building and saw it as a futile attempt to go forward. Either way, one thing is apparent to me. The outcome could have been much different if the health and safety of the people working there had been considered a priority. On December 6 of 2020, the BBC reported that what is happening to our diplomats in recent history is most likely being caused by directed microwaves. They are already calling it the Havana Syndrome. In an interview taken decades after the end of Project Pandora, its leader, Robert Cesaro, makes a statement that I found interesting. He is quoted as saying, I look at it as still a major, serious, unsettled threat to the security of the United States. It certainly appears that he was correct about that. Now, I want to be clear about something. I am not suggesting that the U.S. government is currently running a human test or doing anything nefarious in regards to the, the return of these devices. There is no evidence for that, and I have no reason to suggest they are. Instead, I am trying to make the point that we now know what we are dealing with, and we need to take it seriously. If any positive thing can come from this horrible story, perhaps our experiences of the past will actually inform our decisions in the future. There is a quote from Cicero that might shed some light, though, on why they were willing to do such a horrible thing to their own people. He says, If you really make the breakthrough, you've got something better than any bomb ever built. Because when you finally come down the line... You're talking about controlling people's minds. They wanted a weapon. They viewed the communist threat as a dark force that was teetering on the verge of taking over the world. In their eyes, a weapon of that nature might be a deciding factor on which way the balance of power will tilt. It is a formula that will play itself out throughout the entire Cold War. I wish I could say it was an isolated incident. Yet it is not. There are a lot of concerning aspects to this story. There's one in particular, though, that scares me. If you were to ask the people who oversaw Project Pandora, they would say that what they did was in the best interests of America. They believed that they were keeping their country safe. It is true that the Soviet Union was no better when it came to human testing. I guess to some that might constitute a justification. Far too often we have found ourselves victims of men who are too quick to justify their evil actions. Perhaps we are safer due to them, or perhaps we are just lucky to not be the ones they chose to sacrifice in the name of making a safer world. Thanks for listening.